Have you heard about Global Poker? Global Poker is the fastest growing card room in the US today, and it's available online at globalpoker.com. Global Poker is a social poker site that offers safe and secure cash out options by using their unique and patented sweepstakes model. Players can compete in big guaranteed tournaments, jackpot sit and goes, or cash games featuring Hold'em, Omaha, and even Crazy Pineapple. Don't wait. Check out Global Poker today. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 85, featuring former World Poker Tour Player of the Year, Faraz Jaka. Faraz has about $11 million in combined live and online tournament earnings, including several notable final tables. He finished second in the WPT Bellagio Cup for 775k and second in the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Showdown for another 455,000. He took third in the PCA main event for 755,000 and third in the WPT5 Diamond World Poker Classic for another 572k. Faraz also has 6 World Series of Poker final table appearances. Now, there are plenty of poker pros that spend a big chunk of their lives out on the tournament circuit, but Faraz took it to another level with no home base of any kind. CNN actually went so far as to dub him the homeless millionaire, as Faraz traveled from stop to stop, uh, eventually paring his life down to just two small suitcases. Uh, in between high roller events and huge final table scores, Faraz would explore the cities around him, crashing on strangers' couches just as often as he lived it up in five-star hotels. After nearly a decade of non-stop travel, Faraz took some time off from the grind to launch an online poker site. That project is now behind him, and he's back on the road making more final tables, and this time he's doing it with his wife. He's also started sharing his poker knowledge, teaming up with card player columnist Jonathan Little to reveal his secrets of exploitative play for PokerCoaching.com. Right now, you can actually try out that site for just $49, which is half off. Just make sure you visit PokerCoaching.com slash Faraz. I think you'll enjoy this one. Faraz is definitely one of the more interesting poker personalities out there. You'll hear the typical DGen stories, like how he blew a six-figure bankroll while he was still in college and had to start all over again. But you'll also hear about his time on the road, including a trip to a Buddhist monastery in Thailand where he didn't speak for 10 days. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here's my conversation with Faraz Jaka. I am here with Faraz Jaka. How you doing? What's up? Very good. Long uh, time since we spoke. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. We both uh, grayed out a little bit, <laughs> uh, in, or at least in my case, grayed and lost a lot of hair. Uh, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, you feeling good? Here. I'm feeling great, yeah. You know, I kind of been out of the playing poker side for the last couple of years. 
and I just started playing again last year, and I could say I'm fully back into it right now. Yeah. So so that that is fun to kind of be just fully immersed back into poker, kind of recharged. Yeah, it is. I, I want to talk about your hiatus in a little bit, uh, but first, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. San Jose, California. Yep. Uh, you're you know you're a Bay Area kid through mm-hmm. and through. You're born and raised there. Yep. Uh, what were you getting into as a child? So as a child, um, I was a little bit of a angry lost child. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. I heard that up. you were just like a hip hop head. Yeah. Who I played was a basketball yep, exactly. and wrote like these angsty poems. Yeah. I well, I used to write poetry or, or rap poetry. Okay. Um, but. Um, yeah, you know, I was kind of surrounded by, you know, my kind of family, religious circle community. And then at school, it was kind of like the ghetto kids and gangs. And I was kind of like stuck between those two crowds trying to fit in and didn't really fit into either. So it was kind of like stuck trying to be someone I'm not. Um, and, um, you know, and, and with that, yeah, you become an, you know, angry kid trying to prove yourself, yada, yada, yada. Um I found uh, sports and business kind of early on in middle school and high school. And that was basically, you know, a, a very healthy getaway for me. And, um, yeah, I was big into sports. I played uh, track and basketball. Um, I was pretty serious about track, almost ran in college. I did yeah, like, your Wikipedia page boasts that you uh, you ran a four-and-a-half-minute mile. Yeah, 429 mile, 159 half mile. Wow. Um and I should have been faster than that. I tore my ligament sophomore year and didn't. I, I actually had that by sophomore year, so I should have had a few seconds shaved off that. Um, but, yeah, I, I've always been super competitive. Um, uh, and that that's just something that's definitely translated into some of my poker success. Uh, I'm always the guy at the basketball court that's diving for loose balls yeah. and with scraped up <laughs> knees and like so, some poker players will play basketball with me. They're like, damn, you play basketball like you play poker. You're just like <laughs> trying to find every edge. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if they don't call it, it's not a foul. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Elbowing people in the face. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I play with class. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hook around a little bit and sure, mm-hmm. but. I'm sure you I, have I, a beautiful I, Euro step, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, so. So kind of lost a little bit there in school, you know, used the sports and stuff as a kind of escape. And then I ended up leaving California, going um, to University of Illinois, They're basically on a whim. Yeah, it this was, is not like, you know, you had family there. Yeah, no no one leaves California. I shouldn't say no one, but it's not common. Mm-hmm. Um, even my counselors are like, why are you leaving California? We have all these amazing schools here. Yeah. Um, and, and you weren't going for, to like some Ivy League. You were going to another state school, a good state school. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Still. University of Illinois. Well, they had a they had a really good business program, um, and then they also uh, had a, a business fraternity called Alpha Kappa Psi. Mm-hmm. And my brother were, was in that same fraternity in uh, USC. Um, so I partly you know wanted to be in that fraternity. You know, it's like a, it's like a mix of social and you know business. So you do learn a lot of good stuff. And um, and it was like a I think it was like number two or three party school. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, gonna get to have some fun. I was about to say, get a good education, get to do the business fraternity. You um, wanted to leave home, that but was it, clear. it was really just escaping. Yeah. Um, honestly, I hadn't. Um, so I applied to go to these other schools, and then I ended up not, uh, you know, decide. Okay, I'm gonna stay in California. 
And, you know, literally summer had started. I had a plan to do like two years at a community college and then um, go, go into Berkeley two years later. I didn't get in directly, but I could have gotten through, yeah. you know, during two years there. So I'd signed up to do that plan. It was all set to go. And I was just so frustrated with being there. I wanted to escape. So I literally like wrote a letter to the University of Illinois saying like, hey, I know I said no, but I'd still like to go. Um, and they're like, we're totally overbooked. Um, and you know, like we can't really, you know, there's like a huge waiting list, but you know, you could try to write a letter to the Dean explaining your situation. And I just wrote like a very heartfelt letter that was really like a long shot. And, um, and I was still so back and forth that I actually called them back to tell them the, you know, not to worry about it, that you know, I'm committing back to this other plan. And they're like, oh, really? They're like, we just sent a letter out. Like, you got to accept it again. Oh and I was like, gosh. what? And that just like stirred the pot a little more. And literally, I told my parents with three weeks before school started that I want to go move out of the state and go to University of Illinois, which is a huge deal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, it doesn't seem that big of a deal today, but to them, you know, they're very like tight knit community, family stays together. So, I went four hours away yeah. in the same state. Yeah. And it was it was a tragedy in my family. Yeah. So my, my brother <laughs> went to, to L.A. from San Jose for school, and that was the tragedy. He right? kind of broke the ice, and then I took the bigger step. Um, so, yeah, so really left out of frustration. Um, and then when I got to Illinois, I kind of made a vow to, like, surround myself by better people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went from hanging out with kind of these, like, ghetto wannabe thugs, like, tagging graffiti, like, all this stuff, jumping people, like, all you know, all, all sorts of the wrong crap to, like, hanging out with a bunch of nerds, you know, like mm-hmm. a bunch of foreigners. And um, Are these the poker-playing nerds you found? No, no. Okay. Um, these are just, you know, my college friends, you know, one from New York, from Puerto Rico, from India. You know, just into all sorts of different stuff. And um, I, I'm always, my, my circles have always been very like, diverse, which, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that you know, when you go and look at a group of friends, like when, they're, when people are all, you know, dressed the same, into the same, like all the same beliefs, like, you know, they're, they're not really truly kind of experiencing like what there is to experience. And they're yeah. not really going to be fully free thinking, you know, because you're just caught in a bubble. Um, so that's kind of how my friend circles always are. Well, I was and, reading in an interview, you, des- you described, you know, seeing your campus for the first time and all the cornfields. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you so, really did go there sight unseen. So I, I didn't visit the school at all, right? There's no time. Like, it was just like a life out of frustration. So, um, you know, my dad flew with me um, for, you know, the school orientation. And when I got there, you know, landed at O'Hare and it's a three-hour drive to uh, Urbana-Champaign, where mm-hmm. the university is, and it's all cornfields. And I'd never seen anything like that. Um, you just, you know, I'd been to Pakistan, out of the country, but besides that, my whole life's just been California. And there's no space like that, at least not where I'd seen at the of time. Course, yeah. So I'm just, like, seeing city, 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 city normally. So I'm like, where is everything? And I see these, like, water tanks, uh, you know. And, yeah. and to me, that looked, like, so old school. I was like, where am I? Like, and and then, like, my dad's like, there's the university. And, like, we get there, and I'm just, like, seeing people playing, like, cornhole. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, holy shit, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, the, the girls are probably going to be, like, nuns over here. And, mm-hmm. like, like you know, what's going <laughs> on? Um, ended up being the best decision of my life. Like, yeah. huge culture shock uh, for the better. 
uh, that kind of made me realize like, okay, well, if Illinois can be so different than California, but still awesome, mm-hmm. then what else is there to see? And that kind of got me to bug to want to, you know, start doing these like EPT tournaments out of college and flying to Barcelona and yeah. vagabonding. Well, um, let, we'll yeah. get to your crazy yeah. living out of a suitcase lifestyle in a second. Yeah. But I want to talk about your your initial run in college because mm-hmm. you found poker and, you know, you did pretty well. Yeah. Got yourself a nickname because you like chasing flushes. <laughs> yep, yep. Right? Yep. Uh, but, you know, how the hell do you run up a six-figure bankroll and blow yeah. it all yeah, in a week? Blowing it all is not that hard. Um, how do I run it up in a week? I, mean, I was a playing poker yeah. at the exact – I'm a year older than you. Yeah, I was yeah. playing poker in college at the exact yeah. same time. Yeah. And for me, it was like, oh, I won 800 in a tournament. Yeah, yeah. The guess guess uh, I'm going to be king for the next semester yeah. with the beers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I was just – I was hungry and I was motivated – um, so to start out, there was, you know, a guy who was playing in the dorms and he wanted to teach everyone else how to play. So, yeah. you know, we did like a five or $10 tournament. Um, it was about maybe 12, 13 of us. I mean, only like two of the guys knew how to play. Um, so I ended up, uh, winning that tournament. Um, I mean, no one knew how to play. So it was yeah. just like trying to outsmart each other. Um, and then, um, you know, everyone got into it. We started playing this like weekly, um, I don't know, like 10 cent, 25 cent. It was like a, you know, 10, yeah, like $10 buy-in game. And uh, I ended up being down like, I remember like 180 bucks after a couple of weeks, which is a lot of money for me. And I was just like, okay, like I could see where this is going. Like I don't want to spiral, like, you know, blow yeah. a bunch of money. I shouldn't be blowing. Um, if I get down 200, I'm going to stop playing. Who knows if I would have or not. But after that, it went into tear, you know, ended up being up like a few hundred dollars, started looking for bigger games around campus so i started going to like fraternities like you know charity events like all this kind of stuff um having success started playing online the reason i started playing online was there was like a little a uh, flyer i saw at school that was like oh pay off your tuition from this free roll it was on <laughs> ro- royal vegas uh, poker.com um so, uh, yeah, I, I, I signed up for that and like I was out partying, so I missed the free roll, but then I just like deposited and started playing anyways. Um, and yeah, I just like, um, I would just jump into these huge games. I should not have been, you know, I would go into the five ten game and bind for the minimum and run it up. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of doing that and, um, you know, built up like a 10 K bankroll over like a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm trying to think what so came far first. that's normal. Yeah, All right. yeah. I'm trying to think which came first, the big online spring or the live. Well, so me, me and my friend started doing these kind of crazy trips to Vegas from college. Is this uh, Mosin? No, no, no. This is my friend Ben Lefew. Okay, because Mosin went to the same. Mosin went to the university. You. We so we didn't know each other in school. That's incredible. Um, he showed his up. Story is almost identical. So he showed up to my home game once, mm-hmm. and he was just this random brown kid in a hoodie that showed up to my <laughs> game once. We didn't really talk or hang out, and then like after we graduated, we kind of became like friends. Yeah. Um. So um. So yeah, my partner was Ben Lefew. You know, he was he was it was kind of like me and him like in rounders. Like he was like my partner. We'd go up, you know, find games. So I remember I showed up to his dorm once, like Thursday night, um, around like 1 a.m. And I was like, Ben, I was like, we should go to Vegas. And he's just like, yeah, he's like, I know, like we've been talking about it, like let's plan a trip. And I'm like, no, like we should go now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was just like, what do you mean? I was like, I looked up flights, like, you know, like <laughs> out of O'Hare, like 7 a.m., like this much. 
Like I was like I already talked to uh, I was like I already talked to our friend G. Like you know he'll drive us to the airport for fifty bucks. He lays it down, um, and then he's like, "Well, we got Spanish class tomorrow." Like blah blah. <laughs> and I'm like, "G's Puerto Rican." Like we'll pay him some more to do the homework. <laughs> and like he's just like, "Damn!" He's like, "I can't think of a reason not to." So literally on a whim, we just fly to Vegas. Um, I remember we uh, we booked a later flight so we could go to the bank first to get money. And uh, we thought you had to like be like really like you shouldn't carry large amounts of cash, so we need to get travelers checks, right? Like that's what we always heard you do. <laughs> so meanwhile, every homeless guy in, in Vegas has five hundred dollars on him. So we go to the bank <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we need like like f- I don't know how I th- we we took like a couple thousand each, so we took like like four thousand as travelers checks, and they're like, oh, the largest traveler check is a hundred, mm-hmm. so we got to do like a bunch of these. So, like, next thing you know, we're, like, in the back room with the banker, like, signing all these traveler's checks. Oh, my God. Like, it's such a grind. And they're just like, oh, you're going to Vegas. Like, you guys are crazy. Um, So, like, we show up there and, like, don't even (laughs) use the traveler's checks. Like, use the ATMs. Um, We ended up, like, like, he was playing, um, like, 8160 limit. I was playing, like, 1020 no limit. Um, You know, buying in 2,000 would probably be, like, 10,000 in my name. Um, we both like you know made like five six thousand like flew back we're like the heroes like in our dorm yeah literally like fly back the next week and do it again and this just becomes like a regular thing Man. um so that's going on um I'm, and you know we start like th- you know we're now we're the kids at school with money like buying everyone like drinks like yeah. throwing crazy parties like having a blast um start playing online more um i, I jump into like these 1020 games or no, like twenty five fifty games, which would be uh, like five k buy in. I'd buy in sometimes. Well, now I got some more money, so I'm buying in bigger. Um, I basically just have like a crazy week where you know the first session I run up like five k into like a thirty k stack. Um, I start jumping in like heads up games. I'm playing. Um, I I don't even know who these guys are at the time, but I was playing like Frolod Friedman, playing like Ramboswani. Uh, these are like the guys that the sit. The OG online guys. These are like the guys that sit there waiting for someone to play them at the largest games, which was like 100, 200 Taylor at the time. Taylor I think, was one of the guys yeah, at the time. Yep, yep. Yeah. So I'm just battling these guys, like fearless. I don't know who anyone is. I'm um, just like my own hyper-aggressive style. Um, and I basically run it up to about, uh, yeah, 170K uh, by the end of the week. That's insane. Um, yeah, it's definitely insane. I'm flying high, like thinking I'm going to make millions of dollars a year, like doing this. Um, definitely stop going to class. I mean, every every day it was just like, there's this guy sitting here with 10K or I could go to class. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, that was a pretty crazy wild ride. Um, I ended up uh, basically losing it all over the course of the next year, um, which was a very dark, depressing uh, period for me. Um, you know, just to go from that high to that low in yeah. such a short period of time, um, just really tough. Um, I'm amazed you stayed in poker. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you look at I, the I, I, game I, I, again? I, I, I didn't go from 170 to broke. I went from 170 to negative like 30 in debt, <laughs> um, barring some money. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was really tough. Um, at the time, you know, my parents had found out that I was playing because an article came out uh, in the in the university newspaper that was like, student wins 120000 playing online poker. Mm-hmm. You know, they think I'm in summer school. I'm really in Vegas, like, you know, playing cash games in the <laughs> World Series. Um, so my dad's freaking out. 
um, you know, I agree to them that I'm going to invest like a bunch of the money in a property. Now I've lost it all. I'm too embarrassed to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I kind of showed up junior year have been like, okay, I was going to like pay, you know, I just screwed off my school for two years. My grades just suffered. I'm going to like, get everything together, focus on that. Now instead I'm like depressed 30K in the hole and just like in this awful situation. Um, so yeah, I ended up taking a, a semester off school um, I, I went and saw the school therapist, mm-hmm. which was actually incredibly helpful. I'm I'm a big proponent for uh, therapy and therapists, and I, I think like even if you're not like dangerous, dangerously depressed, like it's great to have a therapist. Like it's just like you talk to your friends about your problems and you get advice. Like, well, this is just like a friend who's an expert at it, and you know, seen this a million times. So you know, some of the things they told me that helped me um, was one was you know when I explained like all the things that were bothering me. Um, you know, sure, it was, you know, the financial thing, but there's was, there was other things as well. And they were like, you know, right now, um, you know, think of your problems like a carpet. You know, we try to lift it all at once. It's just like overwhelming. Like lift one at a time, one corner at a time, and it just becomes way easier. And it just seems so simple, but it's just like so incredibly yeah. true. Like you get overwhelmed and you just solve one thing and it just like everything's uh, so much easier. Um, the other thing they were just like after like a traumatic experience like this, like your confidence is shot. Like you literally think you suck and like you can't do anything and you can't get out of this hole. So go and do things that used to make you feel confident. So I was like, okay, I was, you know, get a basketball, like track, like writing, you know, rap lyrics, like all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, I should spend some time. So started playing some more basketball and, you know, yeah, you like, you kick an ass in the court and it just makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but um, um, I'm just trying to think where, I, yeah. So then there's the, the other part was, uh, they said not to play poker like it's just like yeah. not you know like it's it's just like obviously like the gambling like and you lose money you're just gonna feel like shit um, I didn't take that advice um, <laughs> I, I kept um, I kept playing um, I kept playing and I would run it up to like a couple thousand and lose it all and I just like stuck in that cycle and I finally just realized that like I was going to be like screwed. My life was going to be over. Like I was going to have to like drop out of school, like go back to California. Like I told you so from my parents, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, all of that. So I just kind of buckled down and started playing these like five, $10 sit and goes. Like, actually, it was literally $5 sit and goes. And that was the hardest part to go from, you know, this guy who's jumping in these $20,000 buying games. That's- um, so hard. Who's I'm a local celebrity at school. You know, everybody's talking about me, and now I'm playing these five dollar games. I've never, um, I've never played that high. Yeah, uh, but but even I have trouble giving a shit about a five dollar yeah. city yeah. go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and that's a really humbling moment. And even today, even right now, I mean, everybody goes through up and down swings. It doesn't matter who you are, what level you're playing at, and there are times you need to move down. And when you move down, people are going to look at you and be like, oh, what happened to this guy? He's broke, yada, yada, yada. You just need to learn to not care about yeah. that. And that's that's incredibly difficult, but it's incredibly um, vital in the success of you surviving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, I definitely learned to kind of do that. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I worked my way up slowly. Like before, be- before I didn't have any concept of bankroll management, like none of this stuff. So, you know, we had started a, a poker house um, at the University of Illinois. So we rented like a nine bedroom house. Um, we're running games there. We're playing online poker. 
Um, so guys like Kevin Schultz was one of my students. So he would come over. I would teach him. EPT winner. Yep. Uh, he won uh, PCA. Uh, yep. For like almost what two million. Um, Ty Ryman was one of my like big students. Mm-hmm. He used to come every day and puffing, grind. Puffing my perp. Yep. Yep. Puffing my perp. Um, and um, I'm trying to think. Who, and then so Robbie Ravagon was. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. He, he wasn't my student, but uh, Andy Andy Seth also came in a group. So my partner Ben was teaching Andy Seth. Um, BK, Ice. BK Ice and then Andy you know we started a forum called the Poker House and he started being really successful at tournaments you know on a low scale like having some 10 15k scores and I was still doing this cash game thing and grinding these sit and goes so I was seeing him being successful in that like oh maybe I should play tournaments so you know I kind of saw a little bit of what he's doing these shove ranges this and that sort of understanding bankroll management um, so I started satelliting into like the nightly party poker like 162 buy-in um, satellited to a tournament in Aruba. So I show up to Aruba, you know, play this main event, bust, and I'm playing online, um, like, just, like, late night security guard, like, me and security guard in this, like, random <laughs> hut. And uh, I end up winning the nightly event for, like, 33K. Um, that, Ooh, was basically my, that was basically my never-look-back moment. Yeah. Two weeks later, like, found table the UB main event on Ultimate Bat, like, for another, like, 30K um, just like literally from that moment, like never been broke, like, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was def- definitely my like transition point, uh, you know, out of cash games into MTTs and mm-hmm. just like on the way back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you did finish school, you got yeah. your bachelor's degree, economics and business. Yep. Yep. So finishing school. So it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of millennials, you know, will say school is a big waste of time, yada, yada, which, I mean, for the price, I kind of agree, like, you know, but a a lot of what I learned in school is, first of all, you just learn to be an adult, just, um, just, you know, going to the process of having to manage yourself, having this responsibility of, you know, you need to go to these classes, you need to maintain these grades, you know, you need to somehow like stay out of trouble from all the temptations. Um, So, you know, you know, there's that. Um, There's also, you know, the networking um, I, I, I think there's other ways to kind of do some of those things without spending, you know, 30K a year being an out-of-state student. Uh, but but th- there is some, there is a lot of value in, I think, just having finished it. Um, you know, I, I do feel like I see some people that they're just not able, like, I just can't count on them sometimes, like, to, like, start and finish something. Like, if we agree to, to you know, to work on something on a project and a business and a side thing and a blog or whatever. Whereas someone who has finished college, I think, is more likely to be, um, you know, reliable right. in that sense. And I'm not saying... And a lot of these poker players, not only did they not finish college, they never had a job. Mm-hmm. They never yep. had anybody to answer to. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying you need to go to college. And if you don't go to college, then yeah. you're not responsible and you can't be relied on. But um, I think there is a correlation there. And you need to be realistic that you need to fill that void in some other sort of way and just yeah. be aware of that. Yeah. Well, let's get to the uh, the live successes. You know, February 20, 2008, you win a LAPC 1K prelim for 105000 That kind of gets you yep. started and said, hey, world, I'm here. Yep, I missed, uh, I missed like a big like midterm exam for that. <laughs> <laughs> 18 months later, after a few min caches, that's when the run really begins. Uh, June 2009 third at the World Series of Poker 5K 6 max that's 400k in your pocket yeah. I mean what do you what what's it feel like to win 400k at yeah. that point in your career um that yeah that year if i remember correctly i had like a big wpt score well yeah a month later 
Let me, let me get this accurate. A month later, you finished second at the Bellagio Cup uh, for seven hundred seventy-five grand, mm-hmm. and then in December of that year, back at Bellagio for the Five Diamond, you finished third for five hundred seventy-two k. Uh, so I mean, yeah, like one point seven or something in cash in that year. You were announced as WPT Player of the Year, and yeah, no, that that year was just like a monster year. Um, it's yeah, I mean, just things are happening so fast. Like mm-hmm. it's not even there wasn't really even time to really soak it in. It's just yeah. like you win, and we're planning to like, okay, I got to go to Monaco next week. <laughs> um, you know, I got to go stash this cast somewhere. I got to go, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of all happened so fast. Um, yeah, it, it was amazing. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting because, um, there's, you know, I, I was on the cover of card player, got the uh-huh. player of the year, you know, one of the most colorful this, covers yeah. in our history. Yeah. And it, it, it was interesting to see, like, from my perspective, nothing had really changed. Like I was still the same person. Mm-hmm. I was still like as good as I was the previous year. But I was seeing how, like, a lot of people in my social circle or even parents, parents, friends, that kind of thing, like, just because I was on the magazine cover, they <laughs> looked at it differently. So it's funny because even though I think the magazine cover maybe even came, like, I don't know, it might have even been, like, nine months after the scores. Yeah. But, like, after the scores, I'm still not getting certain respect out of people, like, outside of poker, but they see the magazine thing, and all of a sudden, like, oh. Yeah. And w- which is which is funny. It's just, it's just like, it's kind of dumb in a way, but I also kind of get it because, you know, from an outsider, like, you don't really have the tools to be able to judge, like, who's legitimate and who's not. Right. So they just have these kind of, like, old-fashioned ways of kind of thinking, like, something's legitimate. Yeah. It's so like, it, it's, it's like interesting. The, uh, I'm not saying it's good or bad or anything. It's just, like, it was interesting to kind of have that insight. The cash game grinders have the same beef against tournament players because yeah, uh, yeah, they, they don't, don't have the... a moment of glory. Oh, sure. There's cash game players that are, you know, probably way more successful than me. And, you know, we'll we'll go out together and someone will look at me as, you know, like, oh, like, you know, this guy's like some random gambler. He's the poker guy. Yeah, yeah, but I'm the poker guy. But, yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, there's – it's hard to differentiate because the, the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people that are running around faking it. You know, it's – in poker, you do – it is like a Hollywood thing. You know, in Hollywood, everyone's an actor, everyone's a director, <laughs> everyone – and it's really hard to figure out who's the real deal because yeah. so many people are faking it and so many people are good at faking it. And it's the same in poker because, you know, anyone could, you know, get lucky and be backed and be broke and have, you know, a good resume on their Hendon mob. Exactly. And to the outside, you know, it's we, we, everyone who plays poker guesses, you know, you're on a plane and someone's like, oh, you know, my friend, like he's like, oh, you know, he's the man at poker. And then like. You know, you're like, oh, like maybe I know him. You hand him off, and you're like, oh, like this is that like shyster that's like broke and like, <laughs> you know, like scumming everyone like for staking <coughs> deals or something. Yeah, he had one score 15 years ago, and he keeps using it to find a sucker. Yeah, to yeah. Put him in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, obviously, it, it, you know, on that note, I want to say what's really interesting about the poker world is it's really like the human jungle, um, because. You have to kind of, there's not really any sort of set rules. You don't have a boss. You don't have anyone stopping you from getting involved in these like dangerous staking deals, loans, um, kind of business agreements. So you kind of have to learn to kind of read people, fend for yourself. And mm-hmm. it really like, it gives you the kind of financial education that people take a lifetime to go through. You go through in a couple of years. 
Um, and that's where I think poker is uh, an incredible opportunity to grow just as a human being and to learn how to, you know, self-manage yourself in this human jungle. You Did know? you ever any, have any uh, crazy offers from the vultures who come out after a big score? Uh, I, I, I have a Facebook message I got this morning. Someone said, uh, um, I, I'm going to kill myself if you don't send me 5000 in Bitcoin. Uh, here's my address. That's all the message said. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Dramatic. Yeah. I, I mean, and yeah, and, and you need to, I mean, I get sometimes, you know, long messages in, on my webpage, yeah. uh, like some super long, like sob story. And yeah, I mean, majority of these messages are probably made up. Like, uh, sure, maybe some of them are true, but you know, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Nigerian prince email scams. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, my, 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 my kind of advice uh, to people, I think at one point I put up like an auto response or, or when people email me on my website now, I have like a little precursor that says, read this before you email. Yeah. Because there are legitimate people that want to get in touch with you, that want to send cold emails and they mean well. Um, you know, maybe they want help or maybe they have a business opportunity or whatever. And I always say, first of all, keep it short because no matter like you just can't write a huge email and expect like <laughs> someone who doesn't know you to read it all. Yeah. It's not that the other person thinks they're too good for you. It's just there's no way for me to get to like all the cold messages Everyone's if I busy, read these. You know? Yeah. So, you know, keep your email like short, concise. You know, if you have like a serious like business proposition, like ideally, like just find someone we both trust, like a mutual contact and reach out through that. You know, just little things you can do like that to just make, you know, it more efficient for everyone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the results because I'm um, seeing a theme here. Third at the PCA main event, 755,000. Then you got a fourth at the World Series of Poker Europe. Second in the UK IPT High Roller. Fifth at the WPT. I have a lot of second through fifth. And Seventh at the not PCA a lot of W's. 25K. Yeah. Three more WSOP final tables since. Now, you did win a WPT Deep Stacks uh, last year. It's a baby one compared but, to those. But, yeah, so so we're sensing a theme here, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I that's a common question that I'll get in, yeah. you know, when I'm every time I'm deep at a final table. Like, oh, like, do you think there's a monkey on your back? I mean, it's really just variance. I mean, yeah. like, like, think about the amount of like. So you limited... don't have a complex about being a closer or anything like that. No, I mean, I, I've closed pretty well online. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm really confident in my like shorthanded game. Um, I, I think when you get to kind of those shorthanded and heads up matches, like street poker comes a lot more into play. Um, a lot of psychology, and those are actually like some of my like my strengths. You know, um, I feel very good about that part of my game. So. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a lot of just um, just variance. You know, there's only a handful of situations like that I've been in. Um, you know, th- there's sure, th- there's definitely some spots where, you know, three, four-handed. I think I maybe made some, like, ICM blunders back in the days where, mm-hmm. you know, I just wasn't that educated on ICM back then. Um, so, yeah, sure, there, there are some mistakes here and there. But overall, I think it's just variance. I mean... Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to run really good sometimes. Um, you know, I, I could think of so many, like, epic hands, like, three-way, four-way in the PCA where I lost, like, 60 big blind pot, like, jacks versus fours, and those go the other way and they get the W, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever focus on the money that you left up top? I mean, you have $7 million in live earnings. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It could I, be 15 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do feel like I probably, like, just taking a few thirds and fourths and turning them into wins – I maybe like 1.6x my lifetime earnings, which is pretty. Uh, I I think I sit back and think about that in a sense of like, there's nothing to feel bad about that because it's like, mm-hmm. well, I, I think first you question yourself like, 
did I do anything wrong? Was there anything I should have done better? You know, and, and if there is, just, that's just a matter of, okay, go study those hands, like make sure you kind of know that spot for next time. Um, there's no really benefit of dwelling on it. Um, you know, but but there is acknowledgement of just like, wow, like, like there is a lot of short-term luck involved that can really swing your career this way uh-huh. or that way. And it's just good to be aware of that so you know what you're getting into. And um, yeah, you know, in, in poker, if you're playing tournament live tournament poker you know where the volume's not that high um which i mean like if you play full time you're playing 100 tournaments a year yeah um you just uh you got to be realistic that you can't set financial goals you know you can't be like oh i'm gonna make 200k this year this is not in your control you know so i I think it's good to be aware of those swings just in in terms of that and also so that when when you are crushing and having a crazy year you don't over credit yourself either because that's dangerous yeah yeah well let's get to well obviously during this whole stretch you know, you're living out of the suitcase. Mm-hmm. They they label you as the homeless millionaire poker player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you li- you know, you literally have your life pared down to a bag. Yeah. Yeah, two bags, two bags. Two bags. Um, yeah, so I... I ra- mean, the CNMP said that you played... It, this was just one year you gave an example yep. of, and you did this for almost a decade. Yep. You played 102 poker tournaments in a year. Went to forty-seven different cities, thirteen different countries, and took fifty-two flights. Yep, that I, was I a hope standard it's calmed year. Down a little bit. That was a standard year for like five, six years, um, but for the better part of I'd say nine out of eleven years. Um, yeah, you know, so I graduated college. I was already starting to travel in college. As soon as I graduated, I just hit the tour full time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd go everywhere. You know, all the EPT stops. So you know, I'd be like Barcelona, Prague. Uh, Germany, you know, I'd go to Australia for Aussie Millions, do, you know, the U.S. tournaments, tournaments in South Africa. Yep. Um, and then... Um, you won a WPT in Johannesburg. Yeah, yep, yeah, high roller event. Um, so, yeah, so I, I traveled like that for a year and a half. I got really worn out, and then I was like, okay, I want to play. So I got to play Chicago, lived there for a year and a half. That's, That's when Card Player did the cover yep, on you. Yep, 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 yep. That's right. Um, and then I got sick of being normal, and then I went <laughs> back on the road. Um, but the second time around, I kind of um, trimmed some fat. Okay. So the first time around, I was traveling with way too much luggage. Like, I just didn't really have much of a system. Um, and uh, so here, I'll, I'll talk about kind of the, the kind of the main changes. So, yeah, one was just letting go of things. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I like to go out, I like to party, I used to like to go to clubs a lot and stuff. So I'd have like, you know, all these like nice clothes um, and just like too much luggage. You know, you think like, oh, I might need these pants, I might need those pants, like these shoes, blah, blah. I just learned that it's just easier if you just get rid of all mm-hmm. that crap. So I kind of optimize my clothes and I still do this today that like, like the pants I'm wearing right now, like, these are, like, stylish pants. Like, I could dress these up, but they're also insanely comfortable. I could sit on the plane with them. They I could sit for 12 t-shirt. hours. Yeah. The color scheme is work that I could work with a lot of different colors. And um, so now I'm just traveling. I literally have one pair of pants, um, two pair of shoes, you know, one for, like, working out. But the working out shoes are also, like, they're nice basketball Jordans that can, like, be dressed up too. Mm-hmm. And I've just, like, optimized my luggage to that I have two carry-ons. Everything's um, versatile. And that makes a big difference because just, like, carrying your luggage, like, through the airport, like, in and out of, like, taxis, Ubers, like, trains, buses, like, it just wears on you. It makes you tired. Yeah. So that helped a lot. Um, Exercise. So every other week, your exercise routine, like, 
there, there's a lot of mental effort that goes to waste just trying to figure out things. And that tires you out, it wears you out. So what I realized is the less you need to think about things, the more energy you have. So I just created a workout routine that I can do no matter where I am. So that means like using the floor, using the door, mm -hmm. like I travel with an extension cord that I'm able to like jump rope with and do, you know, even other things <laughs> that I'd have to kind of show you physically. But um, yeah, I just have a system so that I don't have to refigure out how to work out every other week. Same thing with food, you know, just figuring out meals that work like everywhere. Um, I'm not doing this as much anymore, but you know, I used to have like, you know, I have like tuna cans and I'd make this like mixture and I know I could get these ingredients like anywhere. Um, you travel like an athlete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends what kind of athlete. Well, if, but, tra if traveling yeah. was a sport, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Oh, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and um, yeah, so yeah, just really like hi highly like optimizing those things and being very thoughtful of them. Um, yeah, so, so that helped a lot. So yeah, so uh, I, I did this for like another nine years now. Um, and then I got worn out after nine years this time. Um, and I stopped traveling about three years ago. Uh -huh. Yep, yep. So that's when I got off tour and uh, I, I did a startup. Um, I actually launched an online poker site that a lot of people don't know about mm -hmm. um, that I kind of kept um, kind of out of the media on the English side, kind of on purpose. And it, it was, uh, we launched in Brazil as our launch market. And I'm happy to go more into that now or later, but si sidetracking off the traveling. Let's talk about it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. What, what, uh, Maybe the uh, the benefits or the downsides yeah. of starting an online poker site. So, um, so yeah. So I, I've always been pretty passionate about entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm surrounded by you know a lot of my close friends are really successful in the Silicon Valley tech scene. So I've always been kind of surrounded by that circle, interested in that circle, kind of passively investing in startups. And I've been wanting to do something of my own. Was kind of getting sick of being on the road all the time, looking for something to do. Um, so I ended up um, meeting um, some guys who were working on a poker learning tool. Um, and these were people that had already been successful in the tech world, um, so kind of highly knowledgeable on how to kind of run a high-growth startup. So um, we looked into – I teamed up with them to basically work on a poker learning tool. Um, now I guess there's a lot of – you know, something more interactive and stuff. And this was probably about like four years ago. And we started working on that for a couple months, and – you know, we kind of had the idea that, oh, eventually we might be able to, you know, we'll have a bunch of users. We can maybe launch a poker site. And the more we kind of looked into what it takes to launch a poker site, we pretty much realized that, you know, there's no reason to wait. Like we can do all these things now. Um, so, uh, yeah, we basically we, you know, built a software completely from scratch um, using, you know, cutting edge technology. It was uh, in it was optimized in browser. Um we um, we launched in Brazil. So just getting to launch was a big deal. Like mm -hmm. a lot of things had to go right to be able to get to launch. Yeah, and this took you completely out of poker. This is your Yeah, job. I mean, I, I'm working like 60 hours a week. Um, you know, we have a team of about, you know, 11, 12 employees. Um, you know, I'm managing a small marketing team. I'm doing a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, I, I was basically our hack to like early user acquisition um, you know, also like helping writing specs for the developers and, you know, coming up with, you know, game formats and that kind of stuff, um, helping with biz development. Um, so I definitely learned a lot. I definitely 10x my business knowledge um, over these last couple of years. I mean, I did everything from email marketing to Facebook ads, um, amongst other things. Um, so, yeah, so we launched in Brazil. 
That was a pretty awesome experience, actually. Um, Braz- poker in Brazil is insane. It's mm-hmm. like nothing like anywhere else has experienced. I mean, there is poker at the malls. Like, <laughs> like while the whites go shopping, they have a poker room, and you go and play poker. There's poker at the... Um, there's poker at the soccer stadium for like the main team in Brazil where you could watch the game playing poker. Um, it, it's very recreational. Um, you know, instead of pool tables at the bars downtown, there's poker tables. Um, so that's really awesome. Uh, I did something that was really fun. Um, as a promo, I basically, you know, I put out a video saying, you know, hey, Brazil, like I'm going to come crash your home game. Tell me why I should send me a video. Why I should I come to your home mm-hmm. game? Got a bunch of applicants. And literally flew to Brazil, going to these like remote like areas and just crashing home games. Like no idea what to expect, no idea what my, what getting myself into. And the idea was, you know, these are going to be our users. Like let's go meet them face to face. Let's go find out like what they like, what they don't like, and let's form a relationship with them. That's funny. Um, we have a, a question during our rapid fire portion, which says, uh, "Weirdest place you've ever played poker for money?" Oh, um, yeah, definitely, definitely there. I mean, I was. There was this one area that's kind of like a farmland, like farm area. They they had this game, like 70 people showed up. They had like po- <laughs> dead posters of me on the wall. They had mugs with my name on it, like jerseys. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I mean, they were so welcoming. They had like a buffet of like feijoada and like yeah. Japanese su- like sushi chef. Like it, it was it was awesome. Um, and um, <laughs> That's got to be so weird playing yeah. with your face hanging around. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, so yeah, so some games were like that, and then other games that crashed were like kind of the younger guys in the city. Like we did like a hat party, like so everyone had to wear a hat. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> it, it was fun. I, I got some really cool footage out of that. Um, that I but could... ultimately, what what goes wrong? Yeah, so I, I'd say to sum it up, we we launched too early, and um, I, I actually think most companies launch too late and too slow. Mm-hmm. So um, there's kind of two ways of kind of doing business. So one is kind of the more kind of older, like outdated way, which I'm going to say, and that's where you, you know, spend millions of dollars um, building this perfect product that you think everyone's going to like. And the problem with doing that way is you don't actually have any user data. Uh-huh. Um, so you're building this thing that you think everyone's going to like. And if they don't like it, then you just wasted $5 million in two, three years. Yeah. Um, so kind of the the new age way of doing things is, you know, you spend, you know, a few hundred K to a million Beta on an on, on MVP, <laughs> which, are, you know, minimally viable product, which it's not this perfect product. It's just this chunky kind of prototype. And you're proving that, OK, I, I see that users like this. Like, you know, you, you, you take user feedback and keep building until you see they like this. We have traction. OK, we are able to get a team together. The development team's working. Then you go back to uh, investors, to VC or whatever, and you say, OK, now I'm going to pump another $3 million into it. Go to the next phase, pump another $10 million into it. So, you know, we're definitely taking that approach. Um, so, you know, we, we raised about a million dollars and we needed to launch a poker site on that budget. Um, which I highly prefer to do than raising five million and doing it because I think that would be a mistake. I think that's just not efficient. Um, yeah, you might create this great shell that nobody plays at. Exactly, and it's just it's just it's a waste of time. Like because a lot of times companies start building one thing and then they pivot into something completely else. I mean, we started like that too. We were building a poker learning tool and built and formed into a poker site. So um, so yeah, so our our product was actually. Um, very beautiful. Like I'd say it's second to none as far as from the user side, um, how how smoothly it ran, um, you know, really quick, like really good graphics. 
Um, the problem was on the backside, a lot of things were hacked together. Sorry, I shouldn't say that's a problem. That's that's kind of normal when you're trying to build a product really fast. But um, I think what happened was by launching too quickly, we ended up just firefighting too much. And now we're kind of at the mercy of trying to please our users. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, we purposely wanted to build it in a way that, you know, not everything's ready to go. But now you're in the situation where, um, there's a right way to fix something and then there's a quick way to fix something. And a lot of times the quick way is better because you need to keep the users happy to keep them around. Um, but if you're doing that too much, then now you kind of have built this site where everything's patched together and it's not done in the way that's actually going to be survivable mm-hmm. long term. So we just kind of got caught in the too much firefighting and it, it just became obvious at some point that we were going to have to kind of just shut this down. Yeah. Um, but we had some really good traction early on. Um, you know, we got about 30,000 registered users, um, about 500 paid depositors, and we were converting more of those, more of those 30,000 every month. Um, so a, a lot of things were going really well. And I think we did do a lot of things right. But I think the couple things we messed up on just kind of, you know, put the nail mm-hmm. in the coffin. And uh, it, 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 it was mind blowing to see because you know, there's, there's like, we'd always write down, like, what are our biggest risk factors? And even if you're doing so many things right, like any one of those 10 risk factors can just like sink you. Sink you. Yeah. And that's why, the, you know, these things aren't likely to make it. You know, there's maybe a 15% chance that thing had worked out. Um, and I would, I would hundred percent do it again. Yeah. Um, I think I believe because that fifteen percent when it comes through is yeah. That's changing. fine. We're we're not supposed to make it every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely an incredible experience. I learned a lot about poker industry from the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely come back now as a player and hearing players talk about, you know, poker stars and party poker, ACR, like they're all idiots. They don't know what they're doing. Um like 90% of the people everything came out of their mouth like they don't understand yeah. like what's really going on they don't get things from the other they, they don't really understand what their real motivations are what their limitations are from the software side mm-hmm. um, how things work um, yeah it, it's just really interesting like ha- having that perspective I'm really grateful for that yeah. so you know that project ends you get mm-hmm. back on the road mm-hmm. start doing the tournament grind again you get yeah. married yeah yeah. Uh, so, does that mean you have a home base now so I had a home base. So, so how um, does this, I mean, you, can you even be a nomad and also married? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so, yeah, so I bought a place in Boulder and I was living there and uh, I was run, I was, we were running the startup out of my basement. Um, you know, I had a pretty good office space there. And once we shut the startup down, I didn't exactly have a reason to be there anymore. Um, I want to be there because yeah. I love Boulder. That's why I bought property there. I think it's one of the best places in the world. Yeah. And I'd like to kind of eventually live there again. Um, but I was kind of in this in-between phase where, you know, now i got to figure out what's next. And you know, do I go back to poker? Do I do another business venture? Um, and, you know, I'd like to do another business venture, but I also don't want to force it. You know, I think a lot of things need to come together to be like, I found the right co-founder. Uh, I found the right project I'm passionate about. Um, I also have something to offer to this team of value. So, um, so rather than kind of force something, um, you know, I, I went back into playing poker and kind of had a new motivation. You know, it was kind of fun to kind of come back into it. Um, but I, I still do have this hunger on the business side. So I actually just uh, in the last uh, month signed up as an instructor on uh, pokercoaching.com. Mm-hmm. It's a site that Jonathan Little is a co-founder of. 
Jonathan uh, or the Little, founder of, sorry, player, he's the founder. Card yeah. player columnist, Jonathan Little. Yep, yep. So Jonathan's done an awesome job there. And I'm also doing affiliate for them, which is that's the business side of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've never actually put a lot of effort into marketing my own name and my own brand. You know, I have a website that's just really like evergreen content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so now as I'm a coach, um, you know, I get to do two things. You know, I've learned all these awesome tricks of the trade and strategies like over the years. I've always been like super secretive about them. But now I'm now that I'm cutting my tournament volume down in probably half, I'm a lot more open to kind of sharing those things now. So I get to kind of share all these things that can help all these other aspiring grinders. Then I also kind of get to create content and do kind of this whole like marketing side, which I kind of became passionate about when I was doing, you know, CheckRaise, the online poker site. Um, you know, I just, I love doing content, you know, videos, um, you know, coming up with, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah. So, and, and now I kind of have a, so what, what can people, like listeners, if they want to yeah. go check it out? What's yeah. So, um, so yeah, if you want to check it out, um, I have a link where you can join the site for half off of your first month. It's pokercoaching.com slash Faraz. That's forward slash of so pokercoaching.com slash Faraz. Um, so basically what it is, is. The site has, um, you know, training modules um, where, you know, I'll do these long, hour-long format videos um, training you on different subjects and topics, going through hands. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also these short quizzes, which the quizzes are awesome. Um, what it is, is it's a video quiz where it'll put you in a scenario, we'll get to the flop, and then it pauses, and it'll be like, what do you do here? Okay. A, B, C, D. You, then you click, and then after you click, then I come back on, and I explain why this is the right answer, why those are the wrong answers. Mm-hmm. and it's actually in, incredibly educational. Um, so yeah, there's some other awesome coaches on there as well. You know, Jonathan Jaffe, Matt Affleck, uh, Alex Fitzgerald. Um, so uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, definitely check it out and you know go through that link. You'll get a good little discount on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so um, it's pretty fun doing that because it's added kind of a new uh, something new, exciting for me while I'm traveling now because you know I'm kind of sharing a lot of like awesome things about being on tour before I was just like so focused on you know playing high stakes you know studying my ass off like not really any time to do any extra content I, I truly believe it's kind of hard to you're either a high stakes crusher or you're a content guy it's really hard to do both because they both take a lot of time right. to do both well um which is why you know I went through some period where I wanted to kind of promote and do this content thing and I realized that I, I need to choose between one or the other so I'm not doing as many kind of like 25k high rollers um, and that kind of thing. Instead, I'm jump. I'm doing a lot of these more like stateside tournaments, like 3,500 to 10k buy-ins, and then I'm jumping into some of these like 1,700 main events, which I've never played before. But it's really cool for me to do that because if I'm creating learning content for people who are playing, you know, WCB circuit events and you know these lower price points, then I want to be in those games. I want to understand mm-hmm. those games. I want to be able to make sure the advice that I give is relevant. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, if I'm just playing 25K high rollers with a small set of people, then, you know, it's a very, like, you know, different strategy than playing in those games. Well, so far it's worked out. You know, you took third at the circuit in Tampa, the high roller there, and then yeah. you finished second at the Lucky Hearts Poker Open, also in South Florida. Yeah. Uh, you know, so no rust to shake off. Yeah, well, like so I, I, I spent all of last year shaking off the rust. Yeah. So, you know, I did a lot of study and worked on my game, like, you know, got you know got in with my group of players I talk strategy with and you know really just spent the year getting caught up to date with everything and you know now I feel like really good about where my game's at 
Um, so yeah. So, so how does the wife fit into this? Is she does she fit in the suitcase or? She, she does. So um, yeah, my wife is awesome. She actually lived somewhat similar lifestyle as me. Um, different in the sense that I was traveling every 10 days to a new place. Uh-huh. Um, she's a vagabonder as well. But what she would do is she does online marketing, uh, remote work. So she would be, you know, living in Bali for three years, you know, doing online marketing there, um, you know, lived in London for a few months, you know, lived in Thailand, lived in Buenos Aires for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of did a lot of experiential traveling, but just like long, like less destinations and more time in each place, Yeah, which is actually what I want to do. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so she fits in great there in terms of, um, you know, she, she's able to do, you know, a lot of her work like on the road. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff she does is relevant to the stuff I'm trying to do in terms of, you know, promote myself, my own brand and, you know, the pokercoaching.com stuff. So, uh, so yeah, that's been awesome. Um, she, she finds poker like super fascinating and is super interested in it. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, everything's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, you went to a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And didn't talk for 10 days. Yes. And then um, you said that was your best trip ever. Yeah. Um, Explain. <laughs> it was the best trip ever after. Mm. During was very tough. Um, definitely 10 of the most hardest days of my life. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, you basically, you know, you basically go and you're meditating for about 14 hours a day. The way a, a day starts is, you know, it starts before the sun comes up. You have an hour to yourself. You could either spend that hour sleeping longer or going and showering, uh, going for a walk, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, you shower out of a tub of water, tub of cold water in a scooper, small little um, bathroom with like giant spiders sometimes. And, like, <laughs> I mean, you're literally in like the wilderness in an island in Thailand. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, sometimes in my room, I'd see these like giant iguanas like, right next to my head. Like I'd have a bug net in between us. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and uh, there's even um, there's even snakes, um, king cobra on 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 the island too. It's like some Indiana Jones stuff here. Yeah, um, so uh, w- which was all very uncomfortable, but that's that's part of the experience. You're sleeping on a wooden bunk bed um, with just like a little thin mat as a pillow. So, you know, I was just like, how am I going? to You know, that, definitely when you got there, you're like, w- w- what am I doing? Yeah, like I'm gonna like be miserable these next ten days. Like, w- like. <laughs> And uh, what ends up happening is you spend 14 hours a day meditating, you know, switching between walking meditation, standing meditation, eating meditation, working meditation, um, all sorts of different things. There's an hour-long lecture where the teachers talk to you and explain kind of their philosophies and Buddhist teachings. They kind of already understand what you're going through, what's difficult, they kind of help guide you through that. Um, and um, what you're really doing is you're you're trying to focus your mind, and you realize while you're there how hard it is just to focus for even ten seconds. Yeah, your mind just keeps wandering, and you cannot let go. So, so the first step is kind of understanding how often your mind wanders. The next step is kind of looking into well, where does it wander to? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I think about? And everything kind of categorizes into the five hindrances. Which, if you want to learn more about that, I wrote a blog about it. So it's on frausjaka.com. And, you know, if you just go there, you'll see my blog about it. Um, but, yeah, your mind will go into things like, 
you know, this argument you had with your friend or your parents or you're stressed about money or this job you want to have or whatever. And what you realize, the teacher is, you don't actually accomplish anything when your mind just wanders into these things. Well, and then the next step is you learn to pay attention to your body and your breathing. And you learn that, oh, when my mind goes to these places, my breathing shortens, my arms tense. So you're actually wasting energy throughout the whole day. And by the end of the day, you're worn out and you're tired and stressed out. So what you're doing those entire 10 days is you're learning to recognize these patterns, to accept that you're not accomplishing anything, you're just killing your energy, and to let go of them. And, you know, I was really worried going into it that, you know, this is going to be some, like, hippie, like, spiritual, like, overly spiritual bullshit. Like, no, super logical, super scientific, very practical. Um, and by the end, you just feel, like, so much lighter, and what that lightness is, is really just like you not stressing your body out all the time. And it's incredible. Um, I walked out of there feeling like I was on a drug. Like, like I, I took like sunglasses off for the first time. Like this is what the world really looks like. Mm -hmm. And all that from just being there 10 days, not talking, focusing, like, you know, nothing unnatural. Um, incredible experience. I highly recommend it. Um, I, I think it's something everyone should do. I, I try to all my good friends. I try to tell them like, you got to like, go do this. Um, so that because was like, of this, now you meditate often and so so cold so showers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. I, I love well. So meditating often. I'm on and off with it. It's like working out. Um, you know, if, if I don't meditate, um, you know, it was interesting doing the startup experience. Um, my focus and my ADD got way worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was just on 70 hours, 60, 70 hours a week. You know, I'd, I'd sleep, I'd wake up at, you know, 6 a.m. I have a meeting I need to run at 6.30 a.m. I haven't prepped for. And just like every day was like that. And you're just, you know, working like, and it was really fun working for like an animal like that for a little bit. I, I would, there's people who do that their whole career. Um, I couldn't do that. I, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I physically feel like working that hard is unhealthy for you. Yeah. Like I can tell, um, like just by how worse my focus and ADD got and stress levels. Um, so n now I'm kind of in the post kind of uh, period <laughs> of that where I'm trying to gain that back. Um, so I'm actually going to my second retreat ever oh. um, in April. So it's been about five years. Get so a little refresher. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm going to Big Bear and doing a seven day silent retreat there. Um, so really like looking forward a, to it. Like I a think yurt situation. Sorry, is that like a yurt situation? What, what's yurt? Uh, a yurt? Isn't that what the, they call those huts in the desert where they like uh, they sweat it out? Got it. Um, yeah, I mean to be honest, I, I didn't even look at the. I, I took a light look at the picture, but the first time I went, I didn't really know what I was getting into, and I kind of prefer it that yeah, way. Going blind. I just yeah, I just don't want to have any expectations. Whatever it is, I'm going to deal with it. Like that. That's part of the challenge, you know. So um, so yeah. All right, we have some rapid-fire questions to close it out if you're ready. All right, I'm ready. Biggest pot you've ever won or lost? Your choice. Oh, man. Um, biggest pot. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about session be just because it's more interesting. but okay. And it's more relative to kind of financial situation. But when I was in that period where I won 170K and then I lost it over the course of it – was, it wasn't a year. I lost it over the course of like nine, six to nine months. Um, I had periods where – I was, I literally had 40K left to my name. Mm -hmm. And what do I do? I jump into 100, 200, 20K <laughs> buying heads up match. That's literally what I was doing like day in, day out. And um, 
Yeah, I just had some of these sessions where I'd lose 40K and I had 60K to my name. Yeah. And I, you literally felt Ugh. like you got punched in the stomach. Ugh. Like I literally like my, I just literally, that's what it felt like. If you got punched in the stomach yeah. and you can't breathe, that's what it feels like. Um, it's awful. Like I can't believe, I don't know why I would do so that to myself as a, as, a 20, the, as a 20 year old. Yeah. It's not the size of the loss. It's the percentage of your net kind worth of, at the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I had a couple of sessions like that that were insane. And then. I had this one session where um, I have I jump into a six max fifty hundred game. Um, I lose about I think I have like twenty like twenty three k left in my Royal Vegas account. Buy in, you know, lose, lose. I'm down to two thousand like twenty four hundred dollars. Everyone leaves the table. There's one guy left who's got forty six k at the table. <laughs> I take all of it, all forty six k. Whoa! And from like, and from this was like the end of my bankroll. Yeah. Um. What a comeback. Yeah, and the guy uh, came back like a month later, and like in the chat, I don't know, you know, some guy in the chat, he's like, dude, like, he's like, you messed me up. <laughs> like, I, I haven't played since that day. It's like my first day back. Like, my wife was like pissed at me, and like, and I was just oh like this twenty one year old kid, or probably less than that, probably twenty or nineteen. And people were like, you don't know what I've been through. <laughs> Yeah, so to days like that were like the the nastiest pots, so to say. Yeah. Uh, best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody? Best swap or piece I've had. Um, I haven't had any like. Ep- I mean, I had a piece of Mo when he won um, the uh, Monaco. What's oh, it? the grand the, final? The grand final for yeah. two million something. I think it's just like a one or two percent piece. I haven't had any like epic epic pieces. No one's come through for you that big, huh? Um. Yeah, I've yeah, I've just I I mean most yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean had, I mean like, re- those... rec- I mean I had I had a piece of a uh, Brian Altman. Me and um, oh. Brian Altman swap regularly, so uh, he's, he's been, been crushing he's recently. Been doing very well. So yeah, so you know, just got a nice little twenty three k check from him. Nice. Um, I mean yeah, I mean yeah, I guess I guess those are pretty nice swaps. Like I yeah. I don't I mean I have some friends that have got like six figure like payouts from like the main event. Like, uh, yeah, so I guess I, I, I guess, like I guess I'm ones. setting the bar high. But yeah, you know I've gotten some like twenty k kind of uh, kind of scores back then, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's the best player we've never heard of? Best player I've never heard of. I don't. I'm, I'm probably not a great person to answer that question. Um, or was there anybody back in the day, an online guy or somebody in your friends who you yeah, thought, yeah. this guy's going to do it and, like, for mm. whatever reason. For whatever reason, disappeared or something. Um, I can't think of anyone on the spot. All so right. I'm going to pass on that one. What was your worst job before poker? So I, I never had a job before poker. Um, I Not as um, a teenager? You never flipped burgers or anything? No. So I, I was a hustler. Um, so I would just find things to sell and make money. Yeah. I always, I always found a way to make money when I was, I kid you not, when I was in like fourth, fifth grade, my dad, um, you know, worked in like, he used to like make a computer system. So he'd have these, these, I don't know if you've seen these magnets, like really strong magnets that are for like picking up like screws and stuff, like strong enough where you could put one magnet in one side of your hand, the other hand, and it would stick. Yeah. Um, and kids thought these magnets were so cool. So I would get them for free from my dad's work and I'd sell them <laughs> for like five bucks. Um, when I was in um, the n- high school, I would go to Roth and TJ Maxx and buy like all the like FUBU and like those type of brands. And you could get them for like super, you know, like 20 bucks. And yeah. I would go to school and sell them for like 40, 50 bucks. Like kids don't know. They just know the, yeah, the FUBU store like, charges yeah. 50. And I'd wear all the Flies gear and have these chains and, you know, make sure, like, you know, I'd look really good and people like, oh, where you get that from? And, like, you know, 
Um, and then I'd go, you know, the, the Figaro chains and like the West Side sign, like all that <laughs> shit they used to be, you know, if you're from Cali, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I used to rock all that stuff. Um, and I, I would I would go to the the mall, you know, they had these um, these little kiosks where you could buy that stuff. You know, they'd be like 65, 80 bucks, but what people don't realize if you could bargain with those guys and if you buy multiple things, you'll get a really good deal. I know that because I got Pakistani blood and, <laughs> you know, my, my family like knows how to bargain. So, you know, I'd get these things at like sometimes 40 to 60% off and go back and sell them at school. So I think I made around $1,000 just in high school, just like selling those things. You were a flipper. Um, yeah. And the one, I guess this was kind of a job. This was an awesome opportunity. So... The school I went to was not that great, but luckily we had this one program that was really awesome. It was this business magnet program where um, the last year in school, you, we were part of this student-run t-shirt screening business. So basically, we would find people who want t-shirts made, you know, the high school basketball team, your mom's work, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, um, card player. <laughs> and, you know, you'd be like, hey, you know, we're school, like we want to like make the t-shirts for you. So we had a graphics design team, a marketing team, a sales team or accounting team and a production team when we literally make the t-shirts screen them ourselves and go sell them and find clients so i I did that and uh, i applied to be the head of marketing and i got that job so i was the head of marketing in high school for this high school business (laughs) um which was my first taste of business Uh, i had i I think i made another like thousand dollars doing that like i did really well um i really enjoyed it that that's where i got my passion for business yeah all right. Uh, what was your largest non-poker wager? My lar- largest non-poker wager. Um, I'm not too much of a degenerate outside of poker. Um, do you mean just like gambling? I mean prop bet, pit bet, you know, sports bet. Yeah. So I don't. I don't do. I mean, I. I. I'm a degenerate in poker a little bit. You know, like taking shots and that kind of stuff. Um, I've definitely done some like you know stuff like that where you know. I don't know, maybe how like much 30, of your bank 30, on the table. 30, 35K myself and like 100K buy-in, you know, that I probably shouldn't be doing. Um, or like some cash games. You know, I played in this like underground cash game in Mexico City, like, you know, way bigger stakes than I'm comfortable. It's half limit, it's half no limit, half PLO. And it's my second time playing PLO, but I am, I'm, I believe the game's good enough that I'm in it. End up <laughs> losing like, you know, 50, 60K on my birthday. Oh, like man. shitty feeling. Um, um, I'm sure people have way bigger degenerate stories than that um that's pretty big and then people listening to this podcast that's for and then sure. um yeah I, I guess i'm just around some degenerates because <laughs> the stories that i hear just <laughs> you, you've been completely desensitized yeah to all these yeah swings. yeah um so yeah some of those yeah what is the talent you don't have that you wish you did talent i don't have that i wish i did um um I'd love to be able to play some more some musical instruments. I, I never really got taught any of that growing up. I'd love to play piano. I, I probably will. I plan on learning piano um, once I kind of am in a situated place. Yeah, um, that's not a traveling instrument. I know? love singing in the house, but I'm I I'm awful. Like I cannot sing for shit. That mm. that'd be a fun talent to be able to sing. Um, yeah, that's about it. It'd be nice to get up at karaoke and not yeah. embarrass yourself. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you don't have to be amazing, just enough to like. Yeah, oh, more, okay. more just that it's fun. I, I see that. I see singing as like therapeutic. Not that yeah. it's like an important skill I need to have. Just like you know, you do it in the car by yourself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, with my friends, I'll sing. Headphones on at the table? Yes or no? Uh, generally, no, ninety percent of the time because I think there's 
a lot of information that uh, you want to know. I want to know who's pissed off. I want to know who's whispering under their breath. I want to know people reveal their strategy. People just reveal way too much about themselves at the table. Yeah. I want to get all that information. Once in a while, if I feel like for whatever reason, music is going to put me in a better focus, then I, I will throw on headphones. I typically will listen to classical music or anything else without um, without lyrics because mm -hmm. I, I love lyrics. Like I said, I used to write rap lyrics and write poetry, so I pay too much attention to lyrics. I need to have, yeah. So when I'm grinding online, like Sundays, that type of thing, like I'll throw on some instrumental stuff, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite album or favorite movie? Favorite album or favorite movie? Um, so some of my favorite albums, um, um, what's it called? Taleb Kweli uh, featuring High Tech. What's the name of that album? I have the internet in front of me. Uh, Reflection Eternal. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, mm. Reflection Eternal, definitely one of my favorite albums. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's, yeah, that's probably my favorite album. Yeah. That one gets the repeat listens? Yeah. Uh, what about movie? Ah, uh, favorite movie. It used to be Memento. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that in a long time. I, I, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah, so. you know, it's really cool watching movies again when you're an adult because you just, like, realize you weren't, like, even intelligent enough to, like, understand <laughs> half the movie. Um, yeah, I'd go with Memento. Uh, do you have a celebrity doppelganger or someone people told you you look like growing up? Um, no. I remember there was always this um, character on – oh, no. No, I, I some people have like, tweeted at me that you like you look at you look like some character from this TV show, but no, I, I don't really watch a lot of TV and stuff, so I, I don't I don't even know, I don't know a lot of celebrities. Like I'll I'll end up playing poker with like famous people, and I don't even know or who they are. Like I'll yeah and, yeah. Do you have a uh, a like a famous person? You, the who's the highest ranking celebrity you played with? Oh, I played with uh oh speaking of biggest pot, I lost this up there. Uh, I played with um what's his name the comedian. I played a lot of poker. Kevin Hart? Yeah, Kevin Hart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I played with Kevin Hart in the Poker Stars. I don't know what it was called, Big Game or something. Mm -hmm. um, he, he was awesome. He was a um, super nice dude, very genuine. Played with Nelly back in the day. Like, he used yes. to play a lot of 1020, the Bellagio. Um, yeah, Nelly, uh, he, he performed at a Poker Stars party yeah. once. Yeah, I'm sure there's some other people I'm forgetting, but that was a really cool experience because, like, I remember, you know, I'm just like, 20 year old kid like playing at the Bellagio and you know I'm like there's Nelly here there's like this government guy here there's like this accountant here there's a college student like athletes like where do you ever get this mix it's of people poker. like hanging out and that is what makes poker so damn cool yeah you, know? you get get a, you get some bad but you get a lot of good too yeah 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 <laughs> uh, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator ready yep all right if you knew the world was ending in 2012, no, this is this is an old I, website. Let's do I that like one that again. question. But it's got to be 2020. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, if you were immortal for a day, what would you do? Oh, so I can't die? Yeah. Uh, and um, let's assume you also can't sustain any long-term damage. Oh man! I, I, oh man! I, I've you always can walk wanted, through fire. You I've can walk always underwater. wanted to go travel through Congo, mm -hmm. um, like see some of these areas that are just like. Like I've looked into going into Congo and I've met like people who've done it and it's 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 a lot of effort. Like you have to 
you have to find like high trust local connections that can get yeah. you through each border. You have to be prepared with enough items to bribe each security guard through each thing. Yeah. And you still never know that at some point, like you just might get ambushed and robbed and kidnapped and killed. And <laughs> but like I, I it I'm seems just like, like a good time to use your immortality. Yeah, I would. I, I just I don't know. I I love. I love that type of traveling, like just going the road less traveled and see. Because I don't. There's just this interesting, like humans all over the world. Like we are the same. Like I passionately believe that. Mm-hmm. But people just have these, like, you know, such like racist. I mean, ra- race is more about the race, but just like xenophobic and yeah, just ways of looking at other people, not really understanding that their environment is different. And I guarantee you, you know. If I throw your ass, who's whatever, like vegan, recycling, like doing all these like perfect shit, and I throw you in some of these environments, like you're going to be hustling, you might be robbing, you might be stealing, you're exactly. going to do what you have to do to survive. Yeah. And um, so I, I'm really passionate about kind of going to places and, and understanding people and talking to them and really like understanding their world. You know, that's that's really uh, made me a more like well-rounded person and more understandable person, like just traveling and meeting like different cultures like that. I know you said uh, in other interviews before that you basically, you didn't stay in fancy hotels when you were doing this. You'd stay with strangers and, yeah. you know, in random rural parts of the non-touristy cities. Yeah. Is there any part of this world that is still on your bucket list? Uh, yeah, well, t- well, to clarify, I... Um, I do stay fancy places, but I, I do both. Yeah, like super <laughs> polarized. Like I'll I'll go from like you know four star hotel to you know the retreat, you know, or yeah. like friends couch or whatever. Like I and I, I like experiencing both. You know what I mean? Because both are awesome. They give you perspective, and it's nice to be comfortable. Sure. <laughs> um, but um, oh, any place? Yeah, Ethiopia. There's no spiders in this five star hotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ethiopia. I really want to go to Ethiopia. Uh, I want to go there because. So in Vegas, I meet a lot of Ethiopian taxi drivers, uh, and then I end up going to some Ethiopian restaurants here. The food is amazing. Mm-hmm. Every single Ethiopian person is like the nicest person I've ever met. It's just something I've noticed. Um, so I was in London one time. I was eating by myself at an Ethiopian restaurant, and I see an Ethiopian man eating by himself, and we start talking. And I ask him, I'm like, dude, what is it about your people? Like, I'm not just saying this because we're in the home restaurant. Like, yeah. literally, you're the only like, culture I, I noticed about. You're the nicest people ever. Like, what is it? Why is that? Why would you say that? And he started laughing. And he was like, oh, he was like, you know, it's funny. Like, living in this Western culture, he's talking about London, is, is sometimes hard for me. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And he's like, well, he said, back home, uh, I will give you an example. Um he said, you know, every day at like 2 or 3 p.m. or something, like these bells ring. And everyone kind of goes home to their family and has, you know, lunch. And then they do this like drug, like drug as in like a coffee type thing, like some yeah. leaf or something that gives you energy. Um, and then um, and, and he was saying, like, even if you cannot make it to your home because your home's far, everybody's doors open. Like, all the neighbors and everything, everyone's doors open. Everyone walks into whoever's house. Like, it's all just, everyone's just family. Yeah. And he said, here, like, I go into the apartment and everyone's doors closed. Like, I don't even see the neighbors. Like, we don't talk. Exactly. And then when we see them, it's, like, weird because we don't know each other. And it's just, like, a different world the way he described it. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, when I've read a lot of studies of what makes the happiest people and the people that live the longest, and it's a lot of, like, community and family and friendship. And, you know, that stuff's very important. So uh, I'd love to experience that in Ethiopia. 
um, if I do that trip, I want to go with uh, someone who kind of knows what they're doing. Like I, I always think people ask me, what are the best trips? Like, where should I go? You've traveled everywhere. It's not about the best place. It's about going where you have a local contact that can give you that amazing For experience. Sure. I'd rather go. Some of my best trips have been places that you've never heard of that yeah. I'd never heard of, but I had a local contact that knew what's up. I know? mean, even here in Vegas, people ask me, oh, what, what should I do? I'm like, I don't know. Get a friend mm-hmm. who you have fun with and yeah. have them show you because yeah, yeah. the stuff I like, who knows? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Ethiopia, that sounds like the way to go. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Faraj, for coming on the uh, you. podcast fun. and yeah. sharing the stories. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That is the show. Thank you so much to Faraz for coming on the show and sharing the stories. Don't forget, you can learn from Faraz directly by heading to pokercoaching.com slash Faraz. You can check out his website, farazjaka.com, or follow him on Twitter at farazjaka. You can also follow us on Twitter at cardplayermedia or at poker underscore stories. As always, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you do us the favor of leaving a nice rating and a review, let us know about it with an email to PokerStories at CardPlayer.com and we'll give you a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. Thanks for listening.